Welcome back to the Big Sparkcast, the podcast where we have big conversations that develop new perspectives, spark curiosity, and drive change in your worlds. In today's episode, I am delighted to be sitting down with Nadia Ahmed Samdeen. Nadia brings experience from the community, legal, and media sectors to her work as counsel and senior project leader at Trisector Associates. With more than 15 years of community development work with various charities and committees, Nadia cares deeply about Singapore and our place in the world. Prior to joining Trisector Associates, Nadia was an associate director at TSMP Law Corporation, working on general corporate and cross-border M&A transactions for six years, and had a stint with Channel News Asia. As a current affairs producer, dissecting hot topics and social issues of the week. Currently, Nadia serves as the youngest sitting member of Parliament, looking after the Cheng San Senator Division in Ang Mo Kio GRC, and speaks up on a variety of issues, including youth empowerment, vulnerable families, the environment, and mental wellness, especially among seniors. I wanted to start by giving the listeners an opportunity, Nadia, to get to know a bit more about you. You've obviously had a career which has been about breaking barriers and being a trailblazer, and a prime example of this was entering Singapore government and being the youngest sitting MP. So the first question I have to ask is, what is it in your background and in your early years that led you to where you are today? Did you have a plan? How did this all come about? So you know, in terms of what led me to where I am today, you know, I'm. I hope I'm not being disappointing when I say I. I really didn't have a huge grand plan, you know, to end up, you know, with what I'm doing today. You know, for me, maybe just to kind of set context for people, I. Wear a couple of different hats. I think the first in my role as a member of parliament in Singapore. That's one, and the other is I also hold a job as a social impact consultant,、mm-hmm. where I continue to use my legal skills with、uh, in-house work, but at the same time also really on working of some of the most intricate and complex social issues today and. Helping social organisations, philanthropy, public sector, private sector, understand the role that everybody plays in you know moving the needle on some of these solutions, and so you know actually, actually neither of these roles was something that was within my realm of possibility. I think growing up,、uh, including my role as a social impact consultant, I think. Thirty years ago, such a role probably didn't really exist in the way that it does today. So I didn't have a grand plan, but I think for me, something that I would say led me to where I am is really about purpose, which is why I always love when we, you know, you talk about common purpose, Adi. I think a lot of people talk about passion, you know, and they encourage you to follow your heart, do what you're passionate about. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that, and I can certainly see the merits of that. But for me, I think that passion can kind of change and evolve over time. And we're all human, you know. Sometimes we get more tired about something, and then maybe you know, in everything that we do, no matter how much you love it, 
there's going to be some part of it that, you know, you don't really like to do or you find a bit mundane or boring or, oh, you wish you didn't have to do it. And it's hard to be passionate about the little things like that. Whereas for me, when you really think about purpose and what you want to do and what you hope to achieve, I think sometimes it can be a very overwhelming concept. You know, you, you know, you think about it in terms of big words like legacy, you know, and you think, oh gosh, you know, if I, you know, I have to do something that's changing the world, otherwise it's not purposeful enough. But I don't, I don't think that's true. I think purpose is something that can be very intimate and personal to you in whichever corner of the world you are, you know, and on whatever level of community you want to achieve this. There's so many different ways to achieve purpose. And I think that idea of purpose for me has always been about trying to end each day a little better than the day before. So it's really about incremental for me. I think I'm under no illusion, you know, sometimes when you really think about the role that you play in in community or country or the world, you know, it, it, it's funny. It's like you are both incredibly small, but at the <laughs> same time, the ripples that you can create can have very far-reaching effects. And I think it's a very important sort of balance to walk, you know, to have an idea that you can make a difference, but you're certainly not everything. You certainly can't be everything to everyone. But to have this at the back of your mind is something that's very humbling. And I think gives you a great reality check that what you do is important. You can't do it alone. You do it with a lot of other people. And I think I've always had that idea with me. So whether it was in, you know, the different social issues or the different communities that I've been a part of, I've been really lucky to be a part of, I've tried to do that. So I would say it's really more purpose rather than some big grand plan about in, in five years time, I'm going to do this. In 10 years time, I'm going to do this. And I used to be that person, to be very honest. You know, I used to be like this real OCD planner. And if you look at my schedule, it's very tightly bound to, you know, 2 to 2.30, to 45 right. to 3. I'm doing all these things. But I think COVID has also really kind of kicked that out of the window, right? Like a lot of things that we may have wanted to achieve during that time could not come true. And if you, you know, get really frustrated about it, you know, then you may not be able to kind of move forward and do other things. So, yeah, I'm a planner, but I, I, I didn't have a grand plan. I'm so glad you started with purpose, uh, Nadia, because, you know, when I met you for the first time, in fact, when you've, when you've spoken to, to me and to, to some of our participants and alumni, that just hits you so hard so early in the conversation with you about you being so driven by purpose. And, and, and I think your point is, is really well made about purpose because sometimes purpose can be too overwhelming, you know, as a word, as a concept. And I think that point about breaking it down you know, we talk about lighting small fires in common purpose, you know, producing those tiny sparks, which all add up to becoming becoming something something much bigger. So let's stick with purpose for a little bit, Nadia, because I just think there's so much there. You know, I've got so much um, out of my conversations with you when you when you talk about purpose. What really matters to you? Tell our listeners and, and me again a little bit about about that purpose of yours. You know, two people who I really love and respect in my life are certainly my parents. And and growing up, 
you know, they're pretty different personalities. You know, my dad is someone who always says safety is better than cure. He appreciates, you know, you being very cautious about things and thinking a couple of times before you say yes or no. Uh, and my mom, on the other hand, is the kind of person who will say, well, if you never try, you never know. You know, so I, I'm sure you can imagine growing up with those two different concepts. It was really interesting. Um, but they're both good pieces of advice, you know, and, and we didn't live a particularly luxe life. You know, um, I grew up in school on financial assistance and without that kind of support, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, go to law school and do certain things. But I've always seen how you can be giving you know, and you can be generous in many different ways and in many different situations. So, you know, even on the really hard days or where, you know, as a child, you don't really have a sense of what it means to perhaps not have enough money and you have this enlarged sense of either, you know, you really shouldn't eat at all because you should save money or everything's going to be fine. So you go ahead and do it anyway. But even on the tough days, you know, I remember my mom would say that, there are other people who also kind of need support and to the extent that you can, there's many different ways to give. And she would be, you know, giving um, like little red packets or green packets, for example, to cleaners or janitors in the school or in the estate. And, you know, even as she grew older, she still volunteers till today, you know, going around to talk to other senior citizens about different kinds of issues and my dad, on the other hand, you know, there's this one particular incident that always really sticks with me. We were crossing the road from the market after a breakfast morning. And there was this old cardboard collector who had real tall stack of, of you know, cardboard, flattened cardboards on a little trolley. And when the pedestrian crossing, the light turned green, the, you know, cardboard collector started pushing the trolley down the ramp. And, you know, the cardboard stack was really tall and started to wobble. And my dad was the, you know, kind of oldest person in the vicinity, but he was the first to see it and, you know, kind of really run over and make sure that it didn't fall down and help the cardboard collector cross the road. And I don't know, that that visual image just has always really stuck with me in that, you know, sometimes you just got to react to the situation around you and just do what you can to, to support. So really, I would say that my parents have always, you know, inspired this idea that you can do what you can and give what you can at whatever stage of your life you are and nothing is too small and certainly nothing is inconsequential. Mm. Um, but for me, in the various times I've volunteered or done things with the community, I think there have been very humbling moments which make me realize that Sometimes no matter what you do, it can still never feel like it's going to be enough. So whether you change big things on a policy level, uh, how it filters down to the ground has a very different impact, for example. Or even if you put together all the scaffolding and support structures in place, the reality is that there are certain days where things may fall through or things are beyond your control. And that's something that I often think about or, you know, that keeps me up at night in terms of that whatever I do, it might still not be enough. Not in a negative sort of way, but I think it's something that really drives me to keep going um, and to keep 
doing things. So that's that's I guess on on kind of what drives me in terms of what made me do various career switches. And you know, I think it's a some people might think about it as oh, that's such a millennial thing to do. <laughs> that you know, you study one thing and then you move on and do something else. And honestly, it 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 wasn't planned. And I did think very hard before I made the different decisions. So professionally, I, I I had studied law and then I had worked in the law firm for about two years when the opportunity came up to move to media. And it was something that I grew up really wanting to do because I thought that working in the media certainly, you know, I mean, even doing a podcast today, right? You know, you can hear things, you listen things, you can shape thought, you can shape opinion, you can offer a new perspective for people to evaluate on their own terms what they think about it. And I really wanted to do that, thinking about media as the fourth estate. And, you know, there's there's no right answer, really, is to, you know, I, I, I did so many lists, right, idea of like pros and cons. You know, these are all the pros. Right. These are all the cons. And every time there were more pros, then suddenly I'm like, oh, yeah, there's this other con, you know, then I add to it. Then I'm like, oh, man, got to think about it again. Almost talking yourself out of it, if you Yeah, if you yeah, yeah, you know. And, and and you can come up, your own mind will come up and society and people, you know, come up with a hundred things to tell you to not do it. Yeah. But, you know, I had this really good piece of advice from my neighbor who told me that, you know, the thing is that it doesn't matter how many things are on the list. I think the reality is that each of these things have a different weightage of importance to you yeah. at that particular phase of your life. And so if you had asked me, to make those switches, you know, when I was at a different age or a different phase of my life, I may not have been able to, you know, I, I think it really depends on what phase of life you're in, what's important to you at that point in time. And for me, it was something I really wanted to do and pursue. And so I took a deep breath and I did it, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then you realize, oh, actually, it's not so scary, right? Life goes on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it's really interesting you say that, you know, such strong sense of um, sort of being inspired by your parents, Nadia. And, you know, again, two very different kinds of advice, different sort of, you know, insights coming from them. But that clearly sort of led you to carve out your own path, your own space. But once you found that sweet spot for yourself, you know, where you gave yourself permission to kind of walk into that, walk into that world, what were some of the things that you really wanted to make an impact on? You know, because the thing that that absolutely, you know, has inspired, continues to inspire me about you is, and I'm sorry, I don't want to bring up age, but, you know, you are the youngest sitting MP, you know, in a country's parliament. And you worry, like you said, you know, things that keep you awake at night, you worry about some of the big issues that matter to that country and indeed to that world. So what sort of gave you that confidence or that sort of what spurred you on? Was it the issues that you cared about? Was it about wanting to make an impact at a bigger scale? What led you on? What gave me the confidence to say yes or... To be able to have an impact on those big issues, you know? I think when you really think about where decisions are made, and in particular, when you think about you know, you, you, you mentioned being a young person and everything. That's exactly what I was, you know, how, how did you reconcile being young and being brave, I suppose? <laughs> well, okay. I don't, I don't know about brave, but I, I certainly, <laughs> there, there's two things I want to say. I think, I think firstly, in terms of 
being young, I think the reality is that in Singapore, youth make up about 20% of the resident population today. But in reality, you know, youth are 100% of the future, right? And if you don't have a, a voice in it, you know, you this is really about the opportunity to speak about things that matter. And, you know, I, I think when we talk about differences, there's this, we'll always find something else to pick apart or to, you know, say this is different from me, whether it's, you know, things like gender, race, age, I think intergenerational differences are something huge. But the reality is that every voice and every experience does bring to the table a different perspective and a different kind of opinion. And I, I've been very humbled and blessed to be in rooms where I've thought, well, it can be a little intimidating because you look around and you think that, you know, these people have been doing what they're doing for so many years, longer than I've been on this earth, for example. But I think the reality is that they may not have had the same perspective as I had. And I certainly might not have the same perspective as they do. So it's not about the number of years or the number of qualifications or the number of certifications, but just trusting that there's value in your perspective. Um, and certainly, of course, then putting in the effort to be considered to not necessarily run off your mouth or just say the first thing that comes to your mind, but really think a lot about it and speak where you think your voice can make a difference. And, you know, Adi, there's so many different ways to speak, right? At some, sometimes you need to bang the table. Sometimes you need to stand on the table. Sometimes you need to leave the room. Sometimes you need to not say anything at all. Sometimes you need to speak a little louder. Sometimes you need to write it down. And I think that's something that I'm very cognizant about, that in our advocacy to create change or to do something, you know, I, I heard this recently and I really loved loved it. It was, you know, fall in love with the problem and not your solution. That really, you know, as an individual, if you're trying to advocate something or create change, you know, it shouldn't be about your solution or what you want to say. It really is about what is going to move the needle and what is going to move the needle differs in so many different situations. And one thing, one other thing I wanted to pick up on is, you know, you said that like I gave my permission, I gave permission to myself to be part of it and to be confident. I think the reality is that, you know, a lot of times it's really the people who surround you who also remind you that you can give you that permission. And certainly for me, I think people like my husband, you know, play a big role in bouncing off ideas, remind me why I'm doing this in the first place. So, you know, my good friends and my brother to have that kind of conversations with me. I, I, I'm under no illusion that, you know, I am, I am alone, right, in this, or yeah. I'm doing all this because it's me. I think each of us are really the sum of, you know, many different parts and many different people who have given us these opportunities or permissions along the way to grow into who we are. And I certainly think that I have a long way to go. I'm still learning and growing. But at the same time, you know, you can't wait till you're not going to arrive magically and then be able to know the answer to everything. I think there are different voices for different seasons. And I'm just very grateful to currently have this opportunity to have that voice in this season. 
Yeah. No, that's amazing. Gosh, you've said so many amazing things. I want to pick up on so many things, Adia. You know, this thing about uh, love the problem, don't love the solution, and uh, or don't get sort of too wedded to the solution. It goes back to your starting point about passion. Sometimes passion can blind us, isn't it? Because we are so passionate about something, we think we know the answer and we just follow that track without really sticking with the problem. No, it's a, it's a fantastic reminder. But can I just, can I just go a little bit deeper into that thing that you just said? You know, uh, how do you overcome challenges and barriers? You said sometimes it's banging the table. Sometimes it's sitting on the table. Sometimes it's knowing who's in the room. Sometimes it's not saying anything. Is that how you've navigated some of the barriers or the challenges that you faced in your role and in your role in something that's quite unique to you. Again, I going back, going back to that point, you know, being the youngest sitting MP in a parliament means you are in some way a minority. You know, there's not everybody, not everybody is like you. So how do you then find your course? You know, are you the table banger? Are you the find? I found my seat. Are you, I mean, What's the Nadia that that's the that's the kind of if there is a default to you? I am certainly I'm I'm generally not a table banger, I think. I think if you ask me my you know, I think and it really comes from my training as a transactional lawyer as lawyer. well. <laughs> you know, it really is unlike, you know, maybe litigators who, you know, really live and breathe a client's case, a client's brief. In a transactional role, you're very aware that, you know, you are representing your client who's at A. And if you're doing, you know, some kind of m and work, your, uh, you know, the person on the other side of the table is at C. But if they're going to get into bed together after this, you, you, you need to reach B. And there's no other way that's going to work if everybody is unhappy with what B is. So it's a lot about recognizing differences and different positions and thinking about how to build consensus. And the reality, you know, is that we make such big assumptions, Adi, about that my way is the right way. My lived experience is the majority correct one. And everybody should know this. It's a duh thing. Of course you should know it. But that's simply not true, you know. I think in, in, in how complex and messy and beautiful our world is today, the reality it, is that you know, my right might be your wrong and you grew up with that and that's what you were told. And how do you, how do you convince someone, right? It's very often not by shouting at them or telling them outright in their face that they're wrong or shutting them down. A lot of times it is really in showing, in hearing out, you know, in building that slow consensus and recognizing that you may not be able to come to one in in the first place, right? So I think really it's a lot about that process. And for me, I, I've really been very awed, you know, by, you know, the kind of opportunities that I've had to hear certain thoughts and hear certain opinions from leaders who really have built the country, right? Who brought the country to where we are today. And yet also me being aware that, you know, in terms of where we want to bring the country to tomorrow, it's something that everyone has a stake in. And certainly these voices, you know, matter as well. So uh, I'm not the table banger. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very unlikely to do so. But I certainly, 
will speak when I feel that there's a certain view that needs to be heard. And, and I think that's something that, like I said, you know, sometimes you, there's so many ways to do it and it may not always be that, especially in a world of social media, I guess that might is right or that the loudest voice gets is the right answer to something. No, absolutely. Absolutely, Nadia. And what you've done is you, you've beautifully in your, in your typical way, you know, brought us to the heart of the conversation that I, you know, I've always treasured having with you, which is the power of conversations itself. You know, you talked about process. It's very interesting as someone, lawyer who's trained in the legal system talk about process. I love it that you raised that. You talked about process. A bit earlier in the conversation, you talked about the need to give people a voice, you know, talked about the importance of different perspectives, Nadia. How do you use that kind of process of or the power of conversations to give people a voice? You care so deeply about so many things, you know, you care about young people and their role in society. You care about women, you know, you care about so many big issues in the world. And I know you're driving some of that in, in, in Singapore. How do you use conversations as a process to give voice to some of those issues or those agendas that really matter? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of times it goes back to what I was saying about how we make assumptions about people. And it's easier to make assumptions when you don't actually have to talk and communicate, when you can sit in your own little comfortable unit and think like, yeah, you know, they don't understand. They're clearly wrong. It doesn't make sense. But when you actually sit and hear someone out, you know, in terms of what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and you, a lot of barriers, I think, are broken because, you know, one, it's it's a face-to-face conversation, I feel. It's very different from having an online conversation through, you know, little snarky comments that you leave on, on, on posts. Um, I think the opportunity to have conversations is really to hear from someone's perspective. And, and, and you know, I've always been very cognizant that I, myself, like I said, you know, it's, it's really about being able to be a platform and it's really about being able to suspend judgment and it's not about me and what I necessarily think is right and it's best, but it's also being able to suspend that judgment to hear different points of view and then to be able to put that together and and raise that. So conversations in itself allow people to have that opportunity to hear something that they may not otherwise have before. And putting people in the same room, you know, it, 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 it's funny, right? It sounds like such a simple like thing, but really just yeah, putting people in the same room to talk to each other. You, you'll be surprised that, for example, the number of neighborhood disputes, you know, and then you ask them, well, have you spoken to your neighbor? And they're like, no, why would I do that? <laughs> you know, like, but, you know, that your issue. So, so it, it's really interesting. Um, and I think the opportunity to, have that conversation is in itself, like you said, the process is a powerful one. What are some of the issues, Nadia, that you're finding that you, you know, with with the power that you've got in a way, you know, you would like to give a platform to, or you would like to give a voice to, or you would like them heard? What are some of the issues in your world? You know, going back to your point about keeping things that keep you awake at night, what are some of these issues, you know, from your perspective? 
that need a platform, that need that voice, that need different perspectives, that need conversations around. Yeah, th- thanks, Adi. I mean, I think you 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 highlighted some of them earlier. And if I were to bring it down to a word, I think it really is also about opportunities and participation. It, you know, some some examples that you talked about earlier was how do young people have the chance to participate and build something and you know that's important to them. Where are the spaces that they can have? And, you know, young people these days, they're not going to wait for you to open the door. They're going to build it and then they're going to run straight through it if they if, if they don't see it. And that energy is something that I think is really magnificent. The other one that I talked about that you mentioned earlier is certainly women. And I see this in many different roles, for example, uh, not just in young women, but also in, for example, with young women, it may be navigating, you know, more emerging harms that come come online or in campuses, the kind of vocabulary and language that women, young women think about today in terms of representation and themselves and how do they protect themselves, both in person, physical world, as well as online. But also older women who may have had to step out of the workforce to be caregivers, for example, and their opportunities and, you know, their dreams to be fulfilled how do we kind of level the playing field and give opportunities to these women, even as they are fulfilling what they see as their duties, you know, whether it's to a parent, to a child or to a spouse, for example. And then also in particular opportunities to to seniors. You know, I think, you know, I, I really have so much respect for how much our seniors have seen this country grow over the years, which maybe a younger generation didn't see that rate of change in the same ways that our seniors saw and certainly played a part in. And, you know, one of the things that I am really passionate about is in thinking about seniors' mental health, because in terms of having the language to talk about, you know, mental health in Singapore, we're starting to really move on this. And it's something that I I'm very excited about. I think it's very important for us to make the distinction between mental well-being and mental health and mental illness and know what we can do upstream, but also the important downstream interventions to this. And, you know, I think young people are driving a lot of these conversations and wanting to bring it, whether it's to society and our homes or in our workplaces, but our older generation may not see it the same way, you know, in terms of, are you calling me crazy? For example, you know, they still have these really, it's still very much a taboo topic for many of our seniors. But, you know, it, it, it affects everyone, right? In terms of the younger ones, the caregivers, how the caregivers are able to support the seniors. And, you know, we need to move beyond, for example, conversations of just talking about dementia. I think dementia is something that people are starting to be more comfortable or familiar with and willing to have conversations on. But really also when we talk about, you know, mental health, there's so many other parts of it and also including treatments and what is the appropriate way forward. So in in my area, very unfortunately, I have been to some weeks where it was of elderly seniors who committed suicide. And, you know, that that really broke my heart to think about, you know, seniors who have done so much and lived so much, but feel like they don't have anything else at that moment. And that was the choice that they had to make. And so senior mental health really is something that I think we need to be thinking more about in a way that is nuanced and, and sensitive. 
really interesting hear you hear you uh, respond to that question Nadia there there's so many things that intersect don't they you know because if you think about us as people you know one time we are young people one time we are we have a identity of being women the other time we are identity of how we are feeling as individuals you know you talked about the mental health piece you know we probably don't even realize how we are feeling or not or not conscious of that this is always that notion of could i be a minority in a in a majority context do you ever feel like that does your identity often intersect in different ways where you're feeling different things at different point how do you then give yourself the platform to be the minority even though you are you realize that that's a bit of a barrier at that point yeah you know i mean adi certainly i think coming into politics i was very aware that prior to this current batch of politicians who came in there were i think four female Malay members of parliament in the history of singapore politics and that duty and responsibility i think you know what that the duty and responsibility that came along with that in being the youngest one was something that resonated a lot with me but you know i think the reality i had a very interesting conversation with two two young minority women as well who wanted to put that on their brand so they were starting a a company and they wanted to put that you know run by two young minority women and one of the comments they had received at that point was why would you victimize yourself that way hmm. and and that really hit me because you know why should minority young minority women mean less you know it could certainly mean more or at very at the very least equal and you know they were really proud and they were conscious that you know we wear many different hats like you said you know there's a lot of pluralities within ourselves but that was an identity that they wanted to put out there and i certainly it, it was a very raw moment for me you know to really think about why should it mean less but why can't it not mean more yeah and i think you know at the end of the day you can't erase who you are and the culture that you grew up the cultures you know that you grew up with the experiences that you've had and i'm i am very cognizant i carry that with me but even as you carry it with you i don't think it should stop you from doing what you are and representing what you believe you should represent it's just like i said it's how you do it right at that point in your life it, whether it is banging on the table sitting on the table sitting under the table leaving the room it, it really depends on what is most appropriate for that context for you to get something done minority or not no it's really interesting you say that um and nadia go back to the conversation you and i had over breakfast in singapore once about you know acknowledging to yourself that sometimes you don't want a certain identity to be at the forefront and sometimes you do want it simply because you're pushing a big agenda you know in society like if i go back to my own life you know sometimes i really resented being identified as an immigrant you know in a different country i don't want to wear that identity on my sleeve and sometimes i felt okay about it you know similarly it's about being a woman or being from a minority community there's a risk of not acknowledging it but there's a risk of acknowledging it too much as well 
And I think sometimes it's a, uh, more often than not, it's a balancing act. And it's also what you give your, yourself permission to do at what point, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I would really say just as a last point on that, that, you know, I think it's it's different if we feel different things internally and we make conscious choices about what we want to represent. And that's just a natural human behavior, right? But I would say the most important thing, I think, is never to deny who we are. And that in itself takes a lot of introspection and reflection because, you know, the world tells you that these labels mean certain things. You know, it means something to be young. It means something to be a woman. It means something to be of a minority race. But it's not about what the world tells us what it means, but it really is about what you feel it means. And if it means empowering, you know, it doesn't mean victim. It means intelligent. It means kind. It means smart. It means courageous. It means any of those positive things to you. Then it, it should be your truth that is the identity and not what the world has made it out to be. And, and that is incredibly hard honestly, you know, to be able to have that time to do that introspection and reflection for yourself to say, this is who I am. And, you know, I, I really hope that if anything, I would say, don't deny who you are and who you feel you are. You may choose to lean into different things at different points in your life. And that's entirely your prerogative, but don't feel like you have to deny something because the world tells you it means less. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely, Nadia. Absolutely. And and I suppose I suppose the question that I'm sitting with as I'm hearing you speak, that there's such a risk, therefore, isn't it, of not having these conversations? Because the power of what you've just said is immense, you know. Lean into what feeds right to you at certain points in your life, you know. That's an incredibly powerful message for me for you. I mean, do you ever wonder that there's a risk to not having these kind of conversations, Nadia? And therefore, do you do something to make sure that we don't get to that point that we are not having them? You know, is that a personal response from you? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think the reality is that in in how diverse things are today and how easily information is accessible, how quick we are to you know, make a decision after a 150 word comment or a 15 second post. The reality is that there's a risk to everything. You know, there's a risk to not saying it, there's a risk to saying it. And I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is whether you feel it it should be said. You know, and and I I I that's one of the things that I do worry about, that one of the downsides to conversation sometimes, that conversations which don't serve to enlarge the common ground or, you know, that force people to pick a side and make a decision. You know, if you're not for us, then you're against us. I think the reality is that those kind of statements can often, you know, be hurtful or harmful because then people don't feel like they have the safe space to figure it out and learn along the way and make mistakes and, you know, take ownership for the mistakes and then come back again stronger because, then people get so afraid to say everything. I, I I don't blame people for not wanting to have the conversations or feeling like they can't because they're just not sure. But, you know, I I think, you know, and it's it's something in Islam as well that it's really about the intention, 
you know, why do you say something or why do you not say something? And it's really important to, I think, start with the intention um, in every conversation that you have. So that is a purposeful one. No, absolutely. So what will it take then, Nadia? What do you think, you know, in your quiet moment, when you're not doing the so many different things that you're doing and wearing the so many different hats that you wear, all of which are driving change and very much driven by purpose, do you often wonder what will it take, you know, for us to have more courageous conversations or to for people to have the courage to step in into these kind of spaces? What will it take to change the system? Huh. Well, I need I think if I had the answer to that, I'd be a very rich woman. <laughs> you may not have the answer, but you, I'm sure, have a very important perspective, you know, <laughs> very, very important for us to hear and learn from. Yeah, I, I, I think it really, well, two things that's important. And again, it may seem a little counterintuitive, but I think one, it's important to have a sense of I and the sense of knowing who am I in this space, what I want out of it what I can bring to the table and what I don't know. I think it's important to have an understanding of that in terms of the I, and then to also have an understanding of the we, which is really about being collective. What is the purpose of this conversation? Is it to hurt someone, harm someone? Is it to prove that I'm right and they're wrong? Is it to drag someone down? Or is it to try and create change? And is it trying to be constructive? And, you know, we may not always get it right, I certainly think, but like I said, it goes back to having the intention to do so or to do it in a certain way that I think is really important. Yeah. And also not to shy away from it, like you said, you know, earlier, which I think is such a, such an important, important part of, part of the whole thing. You know, we started by, I, I started by asking you, you know, what, what really drives you, you know, what, what motivated you from kind of move from law to, to politics in a way, what was the big driver? Just as this conversation is about inspiring others by listening to your story, I almost wanted to kind of, you know, start to bring this to a to a close by finding out what inspires you, just as you're inspiring us now in this conversation. You know, what inspires you? What are you listening to? What are you reading currently to get more informed? You know, what are some of the memories, some of the conversations, some of the people that you kind of look back on and and think about that sort of motivate, motivate and inspire you in terms of your life and meaning that we can learn from? Thanks, Adi. That's really too kind. Um, I, I think, you know, in terms of what inspires me, I, I'm a very practical person. I think I what inspires me a lot of the time is really what I see in front of me is what is in the here and now. And a lot of the times it's really about the people who I have had the opportunity to come across. You know, there's a lot of questions that, for example, like, oh, if you could have dinner with the three most famous people in history, what would it be? And very honestly, I, I'm so bad at those kind of questions because I think for me, the kind of things that really inspire me are the people I meet on a day-to-day basis. And just that raw honesty of hearing them go through their lives and wanting to stand on their own two feet, wanting to do right by themselves and by their families and being able you know, to have that privilege and opportunity to be a part of that in a small way 
is something that is incredibly humbling. You know, you it goes back to what I said about, you know, kind of like recognizing that you are one drop in the universe, but you could be someone else's universe as well. So in terms of what inspires me, it's, it's really people I meet on a daily basis, whether it's, you know, a kid who has both parents who are in prison, but, you know, have grown through the years and have made it on their own, or whether it's a senior who has done so much with their life and still has a cheerful face, wanting to give back to that community, has such resilience. That honestly is what inspires me the most. No, that's amazing. No, absolutely. And I know it. I've seen that. I've, I've, I've kind of seen you in action to, to absolutely believe every, everything that you've just said. That's where you look for your, that's where you look for your motivation and your, and your inspiration. And you've said it so many times in this conversation, you know, the, the current generation who have gone through a very different life experience to, to the next generation, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot to be looked at and admired and learned from, from there. So what would be your, your parting comments as it were to our listeners then, Nadia? There are two bits to this, to, to this question, because you talked more than once about producing shifts, you know, shifting the needle, you know, which is really important to you. And that is what should be important to the world. So what, what role do you think we as individuals, our listeners, what can we play in shifting conversations and, and taking action? That would be one. And where do you think our listeners could start, you know, in terms of finding their motivation, in terms of finding their purpose? Those would be my two kind of closing closing questions to you, Nadia. You know, I, I guess if, if I build on this concept of inspiring first, um, before I go to the closing questions, when I think about two strong women leaders who I've had the opportunity to work with and work for in my life, um, you know, my first lady boss, I guess as you call it, was someone who, uh, you know, when she walked into the room, it was kind of like Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> she always had perfectly coiffed hair. She wore really booms dresses and she accessorized and she had heels and she had the perfect lipstick, you know, and, you know, she would, she would get things done, right. You know, in one way or another. And she was, you know, a tough cookie and you knew when she walked into the room and she was one person who really inspired me um, on one hand because she was very unabashed and very unapologetic about who she was and like, yeah, I'm a woman, so deal with it, you know, and I'm, I'm here in the room and you're going to know that I'm here in the room. And on the other hand, my next lady boss was someone who was incredibly motherly. She was someone who would always check with you how you were feeling. She would want to make sure that you're okay. She would hear out everybody's perspective and they, and then figure out what was the kindest way to say it and to make it work, you know? And they were very different approaches to being a woman and being a leader. And they both inspired me as well. So when I think about the change that people want to make for, you know, who you want to be, there really is no one right kind of mold that you can say, if I have this, if I have these 10 things, then I am an amazing, 
you know, young person, I'm an amazing woman, I'm an amazing leader. I think the reality is that different people can inspire you. You like different bits of different people. You want to do, you know, you want to emulate different things. So don't go chasing after what someone else has been, right? I think you can certainly draw inspiration from it. You can certainly respect and admire it. But the reality is that, you know, you are you and there's no one who's more you than you, right? And I think it takes a lot and a long time to really know that and and to really figure it out because, you know, I think we talked a little bit about this, that the world has so many labels because it's easier to categorize someone and say, well, you're that and, you know, keep you keep you in that box. But I, I think the the reality is that, like I said, we're the sum of our, you know, of, of different parts and we have so much within ourselves. So I think in terms of creating change or, or just doing something, I think the reality is, you know, just start where you are, use what you have and do what you can. You know, I've, I've said that a couple of times before as well, that at the end of the day, it, it's not necessarily the kind of really big things that make it to the front of the newspapers or, you know, give you some, give you a viral video that is going to make a difference. I think a lot of times what you're remembered for is the little things that you did consistently with commitment on a daily basis with kindness to the people around you. And, you know, that is something I would say is where you should start in a way that is sustainable to you and something that, makes a difference to you and the community around you and nothing is too small, you know, and don't feel bad if you forget for a day or you've had to drop off because you have something else that's important in your life. I think what's important is that you come back, you know, because we're all human after all at the end of the day. How do you then, Nadia, how would you sum up and say, and you've said so many amazing things in response to this big question, but I'll come back to it again as a closing question. How would you sake one could find purpose in this world which has got so many different power dynamics at play you know whether it's about being a young person and what your you know some of the barriers you hit as a result of that or being a woman or indeed being from a from a minority community or just because of the sheer responsibility that one gives oneself in this day and age you know because of the multiple hats we all wear how could we seek to find our purpose i think you know, if it, uh, you know, to borrow up maybe a slightly often used phrase, I think if it inspires you and terrifies you and you can't stop thinking about it and it keeps you up at night, then you should definitely do it. You know, I think you don't, it, it doesn't have to be that great apple that hits you on a hit one day. You know, you, it, it may not be something, you know, people can spend their life trying to read and review and search for something and never find it, right? So I think it really is about that every day, about what's that one thing that you can't stop thinking about, that keeps you up at night, that energizes you, that wants you to keep going, you know, and take it as that's your purpose and it will evolve and shift over time. But don't stop exploring and figuring it out what it might be. A very special thank you to Nadia for taking the time to talk to me. And a very, very big thank you to all of you out there for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe and we look forward to having you join us again very soon.